tonight's topic for this uh, topical study is Islam, continuing in the vein of uh, apologetics and looking at Islam contra goes against Christianity, how to properly counter it and such. Uh, with us, as always, is Josh, doing a wonderful job. Josh is going to get into the meat and potatoes of everything. He's going to pray for us, and then he's going to get into the meat and potatoes. So feel free to do that whenever, Josh. Whenever, so I can wait. Like another five minutes if I wanted to. I mean, I could just cut out the five minutes like for the recording. So if you want to wait five minutes, you can. Nah, nah, let's go. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help as we examine what is a, a false religion that has a false gospel and a false god and significantly a false Christ, um, as you promised in your word that there would be false Christs who would rise uh, in the world, and it happen again and again, those who claim to be your son, or rather claim to know your son, but the things they believe about him, the, the one that they claim to know is not the, the one that you have demonstrated to us in your word. Help us to pray for and love those who are in these false religions, that they would come to a knowledge of the truth, that you would cause their hearts to be new. So they would believe in the true Son and his gospel. Amen. All right. As with many of the religions we've covered so far this one deserves and could be covered over many weeks so consider this an introductory survey this is by no means exhaustive i will be skipping a lot of history i will uh, recommend a a resource or two on the back end but uh this is not a exhaustive teaching on the subject of Islam. Any religion that's been around, as long as Islam has, is too complicated to cover in 30 minutes to an hour. So, this will be introductory, but it will hopefully help you to at least be conversant with some of the terminology within Islam, such that if you know Muslims or meet a Muslim, you would be able to at least understand some of the words and terminology they're using. They have their own internal language. Pretty much all of it is in Arabic. You don't need to know the direct translations of the Arabic words. You just need to know the things that they're pointing at, so to speak. But it will help you be able to talk to them and show a level of interest in them as people and in the things that they hold dear such in the same way that you want them to show that kind of interest in your Christianity, to represent it accurately, to understand it properly. That's the idea. That's been the idea with all of these. That's the idea here as well. Now, that being said, they believe a lot of stuff that is not just false, but blasphemous. Blasphemous God and his gospel and Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so understand that. That And same with all of these other religions, as I talked about with the cults especially. Um, and I told the story of me yelling at people to cease their blasphemy. Don't do that. Uh, it is offensive. Of course it's offensive. It's highly offensive. But let it offend the right party, the right persons, namely God, the triune God. He, he will be sufficiently offended by their blasphemy. You don't have to get uptight about it. Take it seriously, but don't make light of it. But you don't need to get angry on God's behalf. He has plenty of wrath on his own. All right. So if we're going to talk about Islam then we, will, of course, we'll have to talk about the Quran. But we'll get to the Quran in a moment. 
first, there are three sort of, I, I use the word pillars in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way because Islam has five pillars as part of their main, the main foundations of, of their religious system. But there are three pillars, so to speak, of primary disagreement between Christianity and Islam. And there's lots of others, but I got to hit the highlights. I got to move pretty quickly here. And the three are what's called Tawheed. And if anyone in here actually speaks Arabic, I apologize for my pronunciations in advance. Because <laughs> um, that was an Arabic word. And I'll be using others throughout. Uh, Tawheed, the crucifixion, the what, what happened on the at the crucifixion, and the Bible. These are the three main areas of disagreement. I'm going to cover each of those and explain them in turn eventually. Muslims are, are Unitarian monotheists. So they believe in one God and that one God is only one person. Christians are tr Trinitarian monotheists. There is only one God and that God is three persons. A few weeks from now, a few weeks-ish, uh, I will be going in-depth into the Trinity for a good bit of time and hoping that doing that on the back end of the apologetics will help you understand some of it. I did cover some of it at the beginning of covering apologetics back in January, but I really want to go more in depth on it, and that's planned for the future. But for now, understand that that is a primarily point of contention. And so if someone says to you, well, Muslims worship the same God as the Christians do, that's not true. It's not true. They are Unitarian monotheists. Or if they say something like, well, Allah is just the Arabic word for God. While that's true, the important thing is not just what its direct translation is. In Greek, theos is the generic word for God. But if a pagan Greek in Athens back in the first century used that word, he was not meaning the same thing as when the Apostle Paul used that word. So it's it's not just about which word is used, it's about what it means. So when a Muslim says Allah, and when an Arabic Christian says Allah, they're actually meaning different things that they're using the same word. So there's been attempts to try to bring Muslim and Christians together around unifying ideas. One of those attempts has been to point something out like that. Well, that doesn't help that case at all. Because again, we are referring to completely different things. The same thing when we use the word Jesus. The Muslim believes that Jesus is a great prophet, but they do not believe that he is the son of God. They certainly do not believe that he's, he is God, namely the second person of the Trinity, because they reject the Trinity. He's a great prophet. That's it. They also deny a historical crucifixion. So they have all kinds of different ways they will explain this. The, 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 the main one is that Judas was replaced on the cross with Jesus. Because for them, a prophet of Allah cannot die in such a disgraceful manner. It, Allah would never allow that. So they reject that Jesus was actually crucified unto death. He was put up on the cross, and then someone switched him and Judas at some point, and Jesus was rescued from dying in that way. There is no evidence for this anywhere. It is a completely ad hoc invention in order to get a, and it starts with the assumption that, well, Allah could not allow a prophet to die in this way. Now, if you read the Hall of Faith, the book of Hebrews, you will learn uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 that many of the prophets died in horrible ways. Son and two, among those, decapitated as John the Baptist was, his head served quite literally on a silver platter. Uh, th those things happen to the prophets. So the argument is, is a moot point either way. And finally, uh, Muslims regarding the Bible believe in the corruption of the biblical text. Not just the meaning, 
or the interpretation is corrupted, but that the text itself has been corrupted over time. So, and this is the same thing the Mormons try to do. So a good study on the transmission and translation of the Bible will prepare you to counter about four or five different cult movements. So I would recommend it. If you want resources on that, I can point you to some. Now, those are the three main disagreements. Regarding Tawhid, they affirm that there's only one God and that God is only one person. So they oppose Trinitarian monotheism. Regarding the crucifixion, they deny that Jesus was actually crucified. And regarding the corruption, uh, regarding the Bible and the nature of the Bible, it is not the word of God. It's been corrupted over time to the point where it is uh, unreliable. But let's talk about the Quran. What, what do you need to know about the Quran? I'll, I'll address some of those other things in length a little bit later, but I, I want to go over the Quran and what it is first. Um, this is the Islamic holy book. They handle it and think about it very differently than we do our Bibles. It is literally a holy book. Um, you know, you'll see on the front of, of different Bibles, it'll say the holy Bible. And you understand that that doesn't mean that the, the paper that you're holding is actually holy in some way. It's not special. It's just paper. It's the words and the meaning of the words within it that are significant and matter and are the words of God. For, for the, the Muslim, there is not a meaningful difference in every case between the book itself and the words contained. And so you'll see that the way that they handle their Quran uh, is going to be very, you're not going to find a torn and battered and beaten Quran in a Muslim's possession, the way you might in a Christian's, where they've been, my, my wife is a good example. I got her new Bible uh, not uh, last year. It was for your birthday. Yeah, it was last year. Yeah, it was, last, it was almost a year ago now, because her one that she had, the pages were falling out. It was because she read it a lot, <laughs> a, a falling apart Bible. It's not a bad thing. It, it means probably using it a lot. Now, some of that is because Bible paper is cheap and not all Bible publishers do a good job with the binding, et cetera, because they try to do things cheaply. But that's a personal gripe I have with Bible publishing. Uh, so I work in that field. <laughs> um, but you won't find that with a Muslim and their Quran. So, uh, for the the Orthodox Muslim, the Muslim who is a, a real Muslim, I, I would consider a real Muslim, not a same way I wouldn't consider an extremely liber liberal Christian and not liberal politically necessarily, but liberal theologically. Those those, those things typically go hand in hand. Um, I wouldn't consider them an actual Christian because they they wouldn't believe half of the things that I just explained distinguishes a Muslim and a Christian. They wouldn't believe the Christian side that Jesus was actually crucified, that there is a Trinitarian God and that the Bible is God's word. They wouldn't believe any of that stuff. In the same way, I'm not going to, because what, what, a, what the Muslim apologists often do is they'll pretend like that person who doesn't believe in the Trinity and doesn't believe that the Bible's inspired and inerrant and that doesn't believe that Jesus was actually even real or crucified They'll pretend like that person, because they say they're a Christian, is a genuine representative of Christianity. And they will use their works and critique it as if they critiqued Christianity itself. So just because they're going to play that game doesn't mean that we should. We can recognize the difference. We can recognize that uh, not all people who say that they're Muslims are practicing ones or take the Quran seriously, or believe the things in it. They don't. Just in the same way that people who claim to be Christians are not always practicing ones, or take the Bible seriously. So we need to be able to make that, distinguish, that, that, that distinction between them just as much as we do within our, our own you know, uh, religious beliefs as well. So uh, the serious Muslim who takes the Quran seriously believes that it is an eternal book that is the direct speech of God. 
that is the reason why they handle the Quran the way they do, and that it is eternally in Arabic. God speaks Arabic, <laughs> and, and that, that's his language. And the Quran is an eternal book that has always existed alongside Allah in some way. There's lots of metaphysical questions I would have for a Muslim on that. I haven't heard from any of them any good answers to, to it. Um, but that this, this Quran is then dictated by the angel Jabril to Muhammad, who then writes it down. Um, so this is in contradistinction to the Christian doctrine of inspiration. When we say the Bible is inspired and that it is the words of God, we do not eliminate the human author entirely from the process. God uses the means. He uses their personalities. He uses their historical context and situation to produce his word in the scriptures. So when we talk about inspiration, it is the, the, the breathing out of God's word. Um, and, and the way in which it happens is, is God orchestrating the events to bring about his word in a providential way with some dictation happening. The prophets are great examples. They are dictated to by God himself. And so they're able to say that, you know, they said, the, the Lord says this, and then they quote him because they've actually received that directly. So there is dictation in the Bible, but the Bible as a whole, uh, in terms of what we think about inspiration, uh, is, is not dictated. And the parts between the dictated parts in the prophets are also inspired. There's historical stuff in Jeremiah, for example, um, those are also inspired, but are not dictated. So we can make those distinctions. But for the Muslim, the Quran is completely dictated. There is no Muhammad in the Quran for them. You can't ask questions like, does this surah represent a stage in Muhammad's growing and developing understanding of Allah and his call? You can't ask that kind of question. It, 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 because there's no Muhammad in the Quran. So asking those kinds of questions doesn't work. Um, you can't determine from the text of the Quran or the Muslim anything about what Muhammad thought about anything. That's not his thoughts at all. They're just not present anywhere. We can, with the Bible in the epistles, see, for example, Paul's compassion for his churches. And God's compassion for his church through Paul's compassion for the churches. <laughs> so we, we can see both of those things and we can learn something about the Apostle Paul from his letters and also learn the thing about God that God is intended for us to know in the same text. You can't do that with the Quran. In Islamic orthodoxy, none of Muhammad appears in the Quran. He is a passive human recipient of the angels' dictated words and nothing more. So what, how's the Quran composed? What's it like? Well, if you're reading an English translation of the Quran, a hyper-conservative Orthodox Muslim would say you're not reading the Quran. You have to read it in Arabic or you're not reading it. Again, that's very important. Um, however, you can get translations of the Quran. Um, they're hard, it's hard to find good ones. I've uh, written a few down over the years. Um, there's some available online you can access if you're interested in reading it. I would recommend reading it so you understand it doesn't take long to read. It's a little over half the length of the New Testament and one-fifth of, of the size of the Old Testament. There, it, it is composed of chapters and verses the same way that a Bible might be. There's 150, uh, or not 150, 114 uh, surat or, or chapters, and um, those are composed of, of ayats or verses, and it's surah or ayah, that's the singular of those two words. And then the surah will be titled 
the, so the chapters are titled by something that's mentioned in the surah itself. And all of that stuff is, is part of the Quran. So in your Bible, your, your, your chapter and verse numbers are not original. Those aren't inspired. In fact, I would recommend reading the Bible sometime without them. If you're reading on, on an app or something, you can usually there's options to turn it off entirely. You can turn chapter and verse numbers off. Um, or you can buy Bibles now that don't have them. Those things are helpful for memorization, incredibly helpful for, for memorization, um, but they're not always helpful for interpretation. They can clog things up for you. But in the Quran, those things are part of the Quran. Those things are just as holy and, and part of, of Allah's word as the actual text between them is. So the Quran is not organized topically or chronologically the way we might think books are typically organized, but it's organized by size. So after the opening surah, which is a short prayer, it goes from the longest surah to the shortest. So if you want to read the Quran in chronological order, uh, the order in which Muhammad received it, you can't read it straight through. You actually have to read it in a different way. And um, there's a book I have, which I'll recommend at the very end, that actually puts in order for you, tells you which surahs to read if you want to read it in chronological order and not just the, the order it's presented, which is from the longest to the shortest surah. Unlike the Bible, it's nearly impossible to establish the historical context of any given surah from within the text itself. So with the Bible, you can typically establish historical context by reading the text around the, 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 the text you're trying to figure out. Well, what's going on here? When is this happening? Who's involved? You can't really do that with the Quran. It's not the same kind of book. So that's a, a, basically a brief overview, a simplistic overview, admittedly, of, of the Quran and its composition and kind of how it's structured. If you, if you approach it and try to read it like the Bible, then you will misunderstand it and you'll concoct arguments against the Quran that a, a savvy Muslim will be able to shoot down by saying you're, you're, you're not understanding what type of book this is. So make sure you, if you're going to engage in an honest fashion with, with a Muslim on these issues that you understand the differences between the Quran and the Bible, and if you're going to read it, then, then, then read it the way that they would read it, besides the fact that you're not believing that it's the word of God. You believe that Muhammad wrote this and not God. So that's the, the meaningful difference. And that is an assumption you do, you want to carry into it when you read it, but otherwise reading it in, in the way that, that they would um, understand, you know, if you're going to read it in chronolo chronological order, then doing that and figuring out how to do that etc. All right, so let's talk about a couple of Arabic terms and different central Islamic ideas that, that you should know. Um, there's four uh, key terms here. Well, the first is Tawheed. I mentioned this earlier. It's the Islamic profession of monotheism, specifically Unitarian monotheism, though not all of them are aware of the difference between Unitarianism and Trinitarianism. Um, because a common accusation for Muslims is that we are polytheist, and that's our big problem. But the Tawheed is foundational to Islamic belief. It's part of the Shahada, which is our second term. And that's the profession of faith that makes you a Muslim. You can't become one unless you, quote, believingly the Shahada. Tawheed does not appear as Tawheed in the Quran. as important. It's important to know that because one of their arguments that's often used against Christianity is that the Trinity, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. Well, they're right. That doesn't mean the idea isn't there. And you can counter with, well, the, the word Tawheed is not in the Quran, but you think the idea is there. And oh, yeah, I do. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um. So the second word is, is, is the shahada, and, and this is the 
Um, the recitation of this in Arabic, believingly, makes you into a Muslim. No questions asked, no anything else. If you profess the Shahada, believing it um, in Arabic, that, that's how you convert to Islam. The Shahada is in English is there's only one God worthy of worship, and Muhammad is his mes messenger. That's the English version. I will not recite to you the Arabic one. I can't remember it anymore because it's been a minute since I've done Islam. Um, and two, it would sound just as horrible as the rest of these Arabic words that I'm trying to pronounce. Another idea you need to know is shirk. Now, shirk is the unforgivable sin. This is idolatry. What it means to commit shirk is to associate anyone or anything with Allah. What, the, what, I, what I mean by that and what the Muslim means by that is, for example, saying that Jesus Christ is God is associating someone with God in, in the way of putting them on the same playing field, putting them equal with God. This is what you are asking a Muslim to do when you plead with them to become a Christian. You need to understand that. That they're taught that th this is the unforgivable sin. If Islam ends up being correct, shirk is the only way that you can guarantee yourself condemnation. All other sins can be forgiven except for shirk. So you, you've got to understand that it is not just an intellectual battle. It is emotional. It is personal. It is familial as well. There's a lot of disowning and things like that that can happen. If someone becomes a Christian within a Muslim, a Muslim family that's serious about their Islam. So you need to understand how big of a deal shirk is and that that is what you're asking a Muslim to do if you're calling them to repent and believe in Christ the God-man as Savior. The last Arabic term I want you to know is dawah. This is what uh, in Islam is the equivalent of what I've been teaching all of you, apologetics and evangelism. They have their own practice of this, their own discipline of this, and they are called to practice dawah. And some Muslims do this in ways you can, uh, I'll post some videos later from Speaker's Corner in London. Um, some do it in ways that are loud, very loud, very argumentative, and some do it very respectfully and calmly. Um, I'll give some good examples of both because I don't want you to get the impression that every single Muslim, um, one, is Arabic, and two, uh, is loud and angry. You'll find at Speaker's Corner, a lot of them are pasty white British men <laughs> um, who have converted to Islam. So being aware that um, there, that that idea exists in Islam, because it's one of uh, it's one of the things to remember when engaging with other religions that are evangelistic. That want to that they want to convert you too, and being aware of that in the process of desiring them to convert to Christianity um, is an important thing to keep in mind, and all of them consistent to that belief because often there's a desire to make peace between you and them that may lead them to rejecting that idea that well you know what maybe your way is a alternative way to salvation. Um, maybe we're both right. No, we can't both be right. Our, our beliefs contradict each other. Here's a um, couple of surahs from the Quran that mention Christianity directly. Now, it is clear from these that Muhammad did not understand Christianity is evident from surahs like this, which means unequivocally, without a doubt, that the Quran cannot be the word of God. 
because it professes something to be true about the world that was just false. But here's one. This is from Surah 5, uh, Ayahs 72-73. says, They have disbelieved who say, Allah is the Messiah, the son of Mary. The Messiah himself said, O children of Israel, worship Allah, my Lord, and your Lord. Whoever ascribes partners to Allah, for him Allah has forbidden paradise. His abode is the fire. For the unjust, there will be no helpers. So that's going back to shirk, and specifically the Christian is forbidden paradise. His abode is the fire. They have disbelieved who say Allah is the third of three, when there is no God save one God. If they cease not what they say, a painful torment will fall upon those of them who disbelieve. Now recognize that the last statement is a clear demonstration that the writer of, the, of this surah did not understand the Trinity as it was believed long before he was born, as it was articulated in the early fathers, and more importantly, in the Bible. That none of them would have been caught dead saying something like, God is the third of three, and that there are three gods. No, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are one God, and when we say God, we don't mean a fourth person. It's a very important thing to keep in mind. We're talking about the divine nature, or the divine essence, or being, whichever word you'd like to use. They're functionally equivalent in Trinitarian uh, study. Um, that that nature consists and is three uh, of of three persons, um, and consists is the wrong word. That's why I pause there. Uh, and as we're talking about the Trinity is hard. <laughs> um, that nature is three persons, but that nature is not a fourth person added to the other three, which is often the way that it can come across. Even the way that Christians talk about it might come across that way. So it's understandable how someone might, might have been confused. But confusion about what, let's say, even if the Trinity were false, and Muhammad it was correct to reject it, charitable gifts. So Muslim eschatology gets really weird. They believe that Jesus is going to return. <laughs> so they kind of yoinked that from the Christians. But when he returns, he's going to break the cross. He's going to kill the Christians, kill the pig, and abolish the jizya. That's kill the polytheist, the Jew, and the Christian. So Muslims believe that Jesus is going to return and kill me and you and Everyone who's not a Muslim. Um, so there's a lot of weird inconsistencies with some of this stuff, but that's just a, a, a note to remember that they do hold Jesus in high regard. Whenever they mention his name, they will follow it with peace be upon him, which is a phrase they reserve for prophets and, and people of high regard within Islam. They do the same with Muhammad. Um, so, so you have to keep that in mind. Uh, they will call Jesus the word of Allah as well. So if you say that Jesus is the Logos, the word of God, um, as described in John chapter 1, be careful that you don't talk past the Muslim because they believe something similar in terms of the language, but, they, but, but the content, again, is very different. They see him, as from that surah I read earlier, uh, as being created by Allah, speaking the word to be in Arabic. And then he began to exist in Mary's womb. That's how, so again, they believe in the virgin birth. Jesus was created in Mary's womb by Allah speaking a word. So they will call him the word of Allah because he's literally made out of a, a word. <laughs> so that's the thing. All right. Another thing you need to know about Islam. The five pillars. This is probably a thing that you would have learned in school or something if Islam was even mentioned or brought up at all in like a history class. Uh, confession, 
prayers, fasting during Ramadan, the giving of alms, and the pilgrimage to Mecca. These are the five pillars of Islam. These are the things that a Muslim is supposed to do during their lifetime um, to be a consistent and practicing Muslim. Confess their sins, do the, 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 the prayers that are scheduled during the day, get the face toward Mecca and pray a certain number of times certain in a certain way, fasting during the month of Ramadan, uh, the celebration of Ramadan, rather, the giving of alms, so giving to the poor, and a pilgrimage to Mecca, which is their holy city. But for the Muslim, regarding salvation, there's nothing really in their mind for, for him to be saved from. When you're presenting the gospel to a Muslim, especially if they're one who's actually like Arabic from the Middle East, um, it's addressing different questions than they who aren't from a West, Western culture would even be asking. So you have to get them to ask the right questions first. You have to raise the problem. The bad news has to precede the good news. And this is increasingly the case in our as well, because people have hardened their consciences so much that guilt is not a common feeling. And if it is, it's consigned to some kind of mental illness. But the gospel addresses our guilt. It provides an answer for judgment, the thing that we know we deserve. We know that those who do such things deserve to die, Romans chapter 3. I believe. Is that chapter 3? I don't know. It's chapter 1 or chapter 3. This is, what, this is what happens when you also read a Bible. Without chapters and verse numbers, you have a hard time remembering. Where... Uh, those who do such things deserve to die. Chapter 3. My wife says it's chapter 3, and she still has chapter and verse numbers, so she, she's probably right. Anyway, um, Islam for the Muslim offers guidance for life, and if followed, one can attain an eternal paradise. But they're not being saved from something. They're just earning a reward. And that's an important distinction. For the Christian, repenting and believing in Christ is the way of salvation. Now, it comes with the great, wonderful benefits of having peace with our Creator and eternal life with Him. But that is, a, that is the solution to the problem, which is that we are alienated from our Creator. And at war with him. The Christian idea of, of an old self and a new self, a dead heart and a new heart, doesn't apply in a, in a Muslim's thinking because they don't need to be redeemed, they just need to be guided. And divine justice in Islam, as we saw earlier, Allah forgives whoever he wants by his own declaration. It doesn't matter. What, what they've done, he, he can just forgive on a whim. There isn't justice. That there's no divine justice in Islam. Because forgiveness can be given spontaneously and arbitrarily. Forgiveness in Christianity is purchased. It's bought. Wrath goes somewhere. It's on you or it's on Christ, but it goes somewhere. Justice is done and fulfilled. Not the case in Islam. It's very important to know that, that you have to frame the gospel in such a way that, that they understand the problem that it's solving, that a just God would not leave their sin unpunished arbitrarily. He would not decide on a whim simply to just let their life of wickedness pass by and welcome them into eternal paradise just because, well, you know what? I just don't feel like punishing you today. Justice will be done. And it will be done on you or upon Christ. But it is done. Lastly, uh, what you believe is offensive to a Muslim. You might say something that sets someone off. Uh, for example, some, because of certain writings from Muhammad, whether in the Quran or in the Hadith, believe that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Mother. 
that Muhammad may have ran across some early stages of Mariolatry, which I didn't get to cover in Roman Catholicism last time, uh, in which Mary was beginning to be elevated uh, to functional worship in certain places of the world. And for them, uh, that is highly offensive. How can we worship a God who has had sex with his creation, who is copulated with the thing he's made? How could we do that? Because for them, the holiness of Allah means that he is separate from all that he has made. The beautiful thing about Christianity is that though God is transcendent over his creation, he chooses to enter into it to take on that which he has made, a human nature like ours, and to then suffer and die in our place. That's the beauty of the gospel is the very thing that they abhor and find offensive. They also see Western culture as Christian culture. So there's not a distinction in their mind between church and state. In, in consistent Islam, you have a caliph running your, your government, and he is a religious leader. Um, and there's a, a, a merging of, of church and state. Now, the, to the way that separation of church and state is talked about in our culture means that there is no religious view to be held by anyone in government office. I think that's ridiculous and absurd because everyone has a religious view. It's not whether they worship something, it's which God they worship. It's either the true God or it's an idol. And if they worship idols, it's going to start showing. And that's exactly what's happening right now. The, the Romans one train happens. The worship of idols, the exchanging of the glory of God for the uh, images made after man, animals, and creeping things results in rampant sexual immorality of all kinds. There it is. Um, so you can't have a neutral governor, king, emperor, president. They can't be neutral on the question of which God there is and should I worship them and obey them. But the way that they see it is that it's it's more pervasive than that. If a president claims to be a Christian, then all of the people are also functionally Christian. Now, people who are Muslims who live in America understand that's not the case. I'm talking more about ones who, who, who don't. Um, but but you, you have to understand that um, Americans do the same thing. The kind of all Muslims are terrorist bits. That's not the case. Or for the Muslim, believing that the Crusades never actually ended. Because you see, America is carrying on the, the, the role of the Holy Roman Empire and being the representative of, of the Christian army who's still going to war with them. That's not the case either. Both of those views are obviously destructive, physically destructive. So sometimes those are barriers you have to overcome in talking with a Muslim. These kind of cultural barriers, these ideological barriers that might be assumptions about you or even assumptions about you, about the assumptions that you're making about them. That could also be the case. So when you're addressing a Muslim, when you're talking with them, important things to hit, soteriology. What is salvation? Why is it important? And why do we need it? Their view of God, Trinitarianism versus Unitarian monotheism. Trinitarian monotheism, significantly, versus their, their Unitarian monotheism. So whether we worship the same God, we don't, and that matters. And about the Bible. As well, um, explaining the nature of the Bible, why it's reliable, why it's trustworthy. It's God's inspired word, and so Jesus actually was crucified. <laughs> um, there's just all kinds of things like that, but the, the three main pillars is salvation, uh, God, and the Bible. Those are the three main things you want to kind of try to stick to without getting wrapped up in, in a lot of other stuff when talking with the Muslim. All right. 
I there's a couple other things that um that there are customs certain uh certain places of the world and practicing Muslims might find offensive unnecessarily if you do them around them because of because of their customs. So, for example, if you bring your Bible over because you're going to have a conversation with them about, you know, religious stuff. And so you, you come prepared and you bring your sword and then you set it down on the floor next to the seat that you're sitting in. They might actually find that offensive because they would never do that with the Quran. So just leave it in your lap. Not because you believe the same thing about the Bible as they believe about the Quran, but there's no reason to offend people unnecessarily in that way. Um, if you, one of the ones on this list was patting your dog in their presence is a thing. <laughs> like if, if you have them at your house and you have a dog and you give them a good old good boy pat on the head, that could possibly offend them unnecessarily. Um, or, uh, if you treat religious and spiritual topics very lightly and joke about that that might be again unnecessarily offensive um hospitality uh if if a muslim comes to your house and you're gonna have conversation and you serve them dinner and you make a pork roast don't do that (laughs) um they, they have dietary laws be acquainted with them and don't offend them by serving them bacon at dinner. It's not, there's, it's not necessary. Your beliefs you already have as a Christian will offend them enough. And that might be one of those beliefs, but you don't need to argue about dietary law. You need to argue about the things that are central and you need to be and bring it to the gospel and present the gospel. That's the important thing. That's just a couple of things I had in here at the very end. Um, and as always, don't assume that a particular person who says they're Muslim actually is. We had this happen, uh, I think, last month here in the Discord server. There was a young man who came in, um, said he was a Muslim, was, I think, hopping around to Christian servers trying to practice Dawah. Well, he and his friend were, but his friend got banned for other reasons. So he was pleading for his friend to get unbanned, but we had a pretty pleasant conversation about his his Islam. And he was clearly, clearly, one, wasn't well acquainted with the Quran, wasn't well acquainted with the history, didn't speak a word of Arabic, and had no idea what he was talking about. It was evident that he was a Muslim by virtue of where he lived, who he was around, who his friends were, and not because he took it very seriously. And so be aware of that. Ask good questions, as always, and represent Christ well, both in your conduct and your words, no matter who you're talking to, but also to your Muslim friends, family, acquaintances, whoever. All right, let me pray, and we'll open open things up for questions, comments, discussions. I see Monmon is here. She could probably correct all of my Arabic. That would be appreciated. <laughs> wanted to. All right, let me pray. Father, thank you for giving us this time together to think about how we can love our neighbor well, particularly our Muslim neighbors, to bring the gospel to them, to show them the true Christ, and to show them the triune God and the truth of the word that you've given to us. Cause us to be kind, patient, truthful, and loving in our conduct toward those who do not believe and toward those who do. Amen. Amen. Well, now is the time for uh, for questions. If you have them, you can either 
raise your hand and ask him by voice if you want, or if you uh, want to type it out in Bible study chat, go for that. I think we have one question, one request so far, so let's uh, get to those, Josh. You can, can do so at your leisure. Do, 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 do. Let me... I'm looking for... Gap in the recording, what did you do? Uh, my my audio interface like software like conked out. And I had to restart oh, my no. computer. Y'all have to probably just. It, I was That's only right. gone for like less than five minutes, so could probably oh, summarize okay. it with you yeah. after. I, I I was probably repeating myself because I noticed I've been doing that, which I I do on purpose most of the time. So it it's probably fine. Um, all right. Here's a question. Uh, Viola asks, but don't they have paradise and hell? Isn't hell something to be saved from? It isn't hell in the same way that we would think about it. There is a kind of judgment, and as it said, fire. Um, but the way that you avoid it, the way that you can be sure you avoid it, or rather, the way that you can be sure that you're going there is to commit shirk till the day you die you can't be sure whether you'll be in paradise or the fire prior to judgment otherwise you just don't know because again Allah's forgiveness is completely whimsical in the bad in the worst way possible it it just happens spontaneously and arbitrarily um and there's no way to earn it really you can please Allah by your actions but you can't guarantee his forgiveness so it's there's not you, you increase your chances substantially by being a faithful Muslim is probably what they would say but there is no guarantee there's no promise from Allah that the faithful Muslim is guaranteed to be in paradise so, you know, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's a little bit trickier because as long as you're not committing shirk, you at least know you have a shot. But even then, it's not a guarantee. How do Muslims seek forgiveness? Yeah, yeah, there's, I, I see I answer the question in real time. Um, yeah, there's no real, like, there's confession and prayer, but you can't guarantee that that's going to actually get you forgiveness. The idea of repentance and confession is an idea in Islam, but it doesn't guarantee that Allah will forgive you. You probably will. You're being a faithful Muslim. Your chances are up. But at the end of the day, for example, there's a hadith in which a man who lives a pretty faithful life um, is not forgiven because he does something bad at the end. But then there's a man who murders like almost 100 people and he's on his way to murder the, the 100. He murders 99. He's on his way to kill the 100, but he dies on the way. And Allah forgives him simply because he didn't hit a hundred. Like it, it's it's completely arbitrary. It, it's it, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> um, that's real. That's a real. I I could I could pull it up and read it to you, you know, later if you wanted. But um, yeah. So, so the point of being a a sort of missionary minded Muslim is. One, obedience, because they're commanded to participate in power, which is the kind of evangelistic side or the uh, apologetic side, which is often more. I'll, I'll share some videos from Speaker's Corner, and you'll see what the idea of Dawah is often portrayed as, which is just you score more points with Allah if you are shouting down his opponents. That's often the way it's practiced. 
not always, but often from what I've seen. Um, so it's, it's more about just, it's not, it's, it's less about the person you're trying to convert, even though that is technically what you're trying to do for them. So it's kind of, yeah. Um, I feel that would be very stressful. Yes. I imagine a person who's trying to be a faithful Muslim would be stressed out all the time. So they're supposed to read the law. Um, I, forgot, I need to read these questions out loud because I forget that people listening to the recording can't actually see them. Uh, so this is, what do they confess? Since they read the law, they must try to obey and their hope is actually in hope itself. Um, so th they would confess their sins and, and their, th their list of sins would be more derived from the Quran than it would be the Torah. So while they're commanded to read and study the Torah, and the Injil, most Muslims don't. <laughs> they just don't. The number that own a copy of Genesis to Deuteronomy and Matthew to John and actually read and study it and attempt to engage with it is pretty low from, from what I've seen and understand of what's typical. Um, I mean, the, it, it's a lot of them are similar to what we would well there, there's dietary laws so they do have those but they're not all the same dietary laws as in uh in the old testament but they have some of them um the question is what is a sin to a muslim um a lot of them are the same as the ten commandments at least the second table of the ten commandments so coveting's bad greed is bad those things are bad. Um, killing is unjust killing. Murder is is also bad. Um, things of that nature. Um, those would generally be identical. In terms of person-to-person -person ethics. I am not a Islam expert, so there might be some questions where I just say, I don't know. Um and and that's okay cuz this is again i've i pulled up notes from 5 years ago i think that's the thing i saw long ago it was i haven't taught the subject in a, in a minute um so my islam is a little rusty uh but yeah pigs are unclean that's the reason you can't eat them i don't remember why the thing about the dog is a thing i honestly don't remember um, I had it in my notes. <laughs> I don't remember. I didn't write down why that would have been used. Um, you could probably look it up, find it. Um, but I'm, I'm actually not sure. Again, I, there will be some things that I do not remember clearly. Uh, they have a Sabbath. Good question. It's not called that. They do have a day, I believe, in which they kind of rally around and they listen. They they gather for a time of worship in, in, in the mosque. Um, but I honestly don't know. Yeah. Here we go. Zach's coming in clutch. Um, he's got some some stuff on on Islam here. That might be helpful. I didn't even go into the Sunni and Shia distinction either, which I should have done. Um, and I didn't do. Like I said, there's there's going to be things I had to skip over. I just wanted to summarize major beliefs of the typical Muslim you might run into. Um, yeah, there's always next week, isn't there? No, I, I need to wrap up the apologetics things. It's getting... <laughs> It's going very long, which it's kind of I mean, it's 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 gone for half a year. So, which I could easily make it go a year, as we all can tell. <laughs> I I could stretch this thing out to a year. Um, but I would like to to move to some new things, and I think you all probably wouldn't mind either. Um, in Leviticus eleven five six, Biblebot failed me. And the rock badger because she's i'm not entirely sure about that sugi um 
if it's exhaustive i'm not sure to every single animal or not it might be um i know for sure pork but i'm not entirely sure yeah this is definitely the subject i am probably the least well versed on simply because i have talked to so few muslims in my life <laughs> and so few of them live near me and around me and i studied most of this when i was in michigan and i was 20 minutes from dearborn which is so arabic that there are arabic like signage on on everything in arabic um so there's a big muslim population there so naturally there's a muslim population 20 minutes away from it um so that was five years ago when I studied, or I guess six years ago now, when I studied it um, more extensively when I created these notes. So it's been a minute. I knew more then than I do now. And still, I think I only ran into one Muslim while I was there. Um, so, yeah. I will, here, let me, resources. Uh, I've been promising those. The main one I would recommend that you just buy and have on hand if you know Muslims or have you know them anywhere in orbit in your life is Dr. James White, his book, What Every Christian Know About the Um That is a great book, and it's the one that kind of puts the Quran in order for you to be um and is very helpful also on some of the history of the Quran, things like that. So I'll post that there um, in Christian media. And then let me find the video from Speaker's Corner because that one's a wild adventure. Um, There he is. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of these videos because speakers. So for those who don't know, Speakers Corner is the one place in England where true speech free speech is like true free speech is allowed it's like a little little park uh in in london where you can just say whatever you want as long as you don't insult the queen but you can say anything else and so people say some crazy things but it's a place for public debate um so this one has tolerable audio but you can tell they're yellow so i'll put this one in older videos it's crazy you can't even understand what's being said because people are yelling so loud but yeah so there you go um i don't endorse anything necessarily in the video i'm just giving an example of what it's like all right because i haven't even watched it <laughs> um yes uh it is called islam and not muslimism that is correct. In older books from the last century, you might also see Muslims referred to as Mohammedans. So if you're reading an older book from like the 1960s or something and, and a reference is made to Mohammedans, it's talking about Muslims. But yeah, Muslims are the people, Islam is the religion. I mean, I, I think so. The question is, when they pray, what are they hoping to accomplish? I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of the five pillars, so it's out of obedience. But I couldn't tell you. I can't read the mind of of each individual Muslim. I imagine they have different. I imagine they, they have different thoughts about what it is that they're doing um, when they're praying. 
Some might be doing it out of habit. Some might be doing it out of a genuine desire to obey a law. Some might be doing it to try to increase their odds. Um, you'd have to ask them. All right. Is there any other questions? Well, no one's typing anymore. Um, then we could officially be done.